Over a past while, in fact, last year, I did a little bit of a, a few preaches on 2 Chronicles 7.14. That was before COVID and all of that. It's an in- interesting scripture. Uh, it's a time where, uh, where uh, the, um, Solomon is uh, worshiping God, and, and they've just finished the, the, um, building the temple, and it's a time of celebration. And, and while, while they are worshiping, an amazing thing happens in the temple. Fire came down in, in the temple, and the presence of God was so thick that people were falling on the ground in the city and uh, praising God as the presence of God came. Well, can't, don't, can we look forward for that for our city? Are we worshiping? Churches are worshiping, and the Holy Spirit moves in such power that people actually uh, prostrate on the ground. I long to see that for sure. But he has this conversation, and he's talking about the nation of Israel that has been through ups and downs, and he says this, if my people who are called by my name, that's us, will humble themselves, will pray, will seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and and heal their land. And I remember saying that the future of a nation is not in the hands of government. God puts governments in place for sure, and often we get the governments uh, we deserve, and often some are better than others. But actually, it's us that hold the hands of a nation in our lands. And if we choose to do that, to get on our knees and, and intercede, but deal with ourselves, deal with our own pride, deal with those things, and begin to repent, God will begin to move in power in our nation. And I truly believe that and continue to do so. Humility to me too also, I believe, is the gateway to the kingdom. Because how do you repent or confess your sin if you've got pride in your heart? And that's the beginning. In Matthew 18, 3, Jesus says this this to his disciples, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And there's a big difference between being childish and childlike. You can be in, your, uh, in my age and still be very childish and much younger and more mature, but childlike is something that uh, is, is ultimate faith. We see these little ones, these little babies, they're not worried about what they're going to eat or drink. They, they're not worried about all of the things we worry. They trust. They trust their parents. That, that they will look after them and they enjoy life. And um, God wants us to trust Him, our Father, the same way. And He says, um, the heart of the Father has always been to relationship. But in Micah 6 verse 8, He says this, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you. It's an amazing scripture, Micah 6 8. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. As I've said, we see that in 2 Chronicles 7.14, the key to revival starts with humility. The reality is that true humility and character takes time and effort to cultivate, an effort that won't go unrewarded. James 4.10 tells us this, that if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, He will lift us up. And speaking of humility, 
Uh, Peter in 1 Peter 5 verse 5 writes, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What bigger reason do we have than to humble ourselves before God? Because who wants the opposition of God against their lives? And often when I, I'm going through um, stages and all of that, and it sounds like the heavens are closed or things like that, and God, why don't you answer me? I almost get this picture of God saying, speak to the hand, deal with your stuff, and then come and talk to me. And you know, when I ever think of God and I picture him in my heart, I, I always see him with a smile. He loves us. We're his children. And he wants us to be set free from these things. It's amazing that he says, clothe yourselves with humility. One of the first things we normally notice about a person is their clothes. It's just obvious that we do that. But you find a truly humble person and to walk in their ways, and I'd say that of joy again here, uh, you can see it, you can feel it, you can sense it in them. And it's so attractive. It attracts God and it attracts people to them. You see, without humility, it is hard to take responsibility for our sin and truly repent. It's very easier to blame others. It's hard for a, for a proud person to admit that they were wrong, to forgive and accept forgiveness for their wrongs, and in return, to forgive others. I was thinking of this in the context of David and Saul. Um, I've thought about this why. Why did Saul lose the kingdom for something that seemed to be a lot less uh, of uh, a problem than David's? Why was David forgiven? Why did David, God, restore? Why was David restored? And there's two reasons I can see that what Paul actually did when, when he was um, confronted by Samuel is that he refused to take responsibility for his actions. He blamed Samuel for being late, the sheep for bleeding too much, the, the soldiers that were getting uh, irritated and so on. But when David was confronted by Nathan for his sin, he writes Psalm 51, and the first thing he says, again, one of the thing, first things he says in that psalm, he says, against you and you only have us sinned. And what father doesn't love to hear that when our, our kids confess and are humble? It's very hard to be, cross, uh, to be angry with them in those circumstances. You see, another thing for what pride does is it becomes hard to admit that we aren't really in control of our lives as much as we think we are. I have a quote from Woody Allen, of all people, that great theologian. He says, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And if you want to hear him laughing louder, tell him how much you know. Church, much of the plans of ours are often futile because it's always God who controls the outcome. 
And I'm not saying we shouldn't plan, but God says, I know the plans I have for you. And often God's plans for us are different to ours. And James reminds us in James 4, 13 to 14, he says here, now listen to what I say. Today or tomorrow we will go and do this. See that city, spend a year here, carry on in business and make money. Why do you even know, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist and it appears for a little while and then vanishes. It's amazing that one of the roots of pride is self-effort. Something that uh, I can fall into often and often and push and push. And it's amazing that when I get totally, totally exhausted and I come before God and say I can't do it, he says, I wish you had said that a long time ago. You could have saved yourself a whole lot of problems. John Riskin writes this. The modern notion of, self, of a self-made man pulling himself up by his bootstraps or by the sweat of his brow and climbing to the pinnacle of success is deeply embedded in our consciousness. That any other possibility seems foolish and foreign. See, it's truly humbling to recognize that God is more responsible for our achievements than we are, but it's extremely freeing when we do so, that we ultimately are not in control of our destiny, that we need to submit to Him, and with submission comes obedience, and with obedience comes accountability. The Apostle God John goes on to say about humility, says this, in a nutshell, that biblical humility doesn't come easy. It goes against our sin nature, and it's not natural, it's supernatural. And we need to learn from the example of Christ, the King of kings, of the Lord of lords, and spend time in his presence with the desire to imitate, in, in, imitate the relationship that he wants with us, to become part of that family of his, to seek the face of God and not simply his hand, where we learn to surrender every area of our lives to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So often we sing songs like I Surrender All, and they're beautiful songs. And my heart is that we get to that place where we can open our hands and open our hearts and let God be God in and through us. You see, God is wanting us to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. And Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 4, 1 to 5. And he says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then he goes on to tell us how. And he starts like this, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. 
Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's amazing that unity takes effort because we all have opinions. We all have opinions in these times. There's so many opinions on COVID. There's so many opinions on politics. And I want to tell you as a pastor, it saddens me how many people in our church are caught up with this and actually some may not even uh, be talking to each other because of these things. It takes effort. It takes effort for us to say, for the sake of unity, for the sake of the commanded blessing of God, I lay these things down before you, God. Pray for the people. If somebody you feel is in, in going on the wrong path about something, the best thing we can do, instead of, instead of telling them what we think or what we should do, is pray for them. Pray for ourselves. Pray for unity. I can't imagine what it would be being in a place like Solomon was where the fire of God came down, consumed the offerings, and people were lying in the streets under the anointing. I can't imagine what it would be to be under the commanded blessing of God. Amazing place. And it takes effort for all of us to forgive, for, to forget, and take responsibility for our own lives. He then goes on to tell us how to live this worthy life. And he starts this, as I said, by being completely humble, gentle, and patient, bearing one another in love. I love that bearing one in love, bearing one another in love. Sometimes there are people that just rub us up the wrong way. Sometimes we rub them up the wrong way, but we have to grin and bear it <laughs> in love. <laughs> That's how I see it sometimes. And I tell often the reason why we have these, mis, um, these misunderstandings often is because we have no idea what those people are going through or what they have. We've never taken effort to do that. We've never prayed for them. We've never reached out to them. And sometimes the most um, prickly people that I've known, once I've got to know, know them, it's normally because tremendous hurt and often from the church. I often speak to people that have left the church. I'm a pastor, and sometimes the reactions are really reactionary. And I understand that. In, and often when I ask in this story, it's often something that happened in the body of Christ. And I'm sure I've hurt many people and, and done that too. But we need to understand that if we want to see our nations healed, it starts right here in our own hearts and in the church and in the body of Christ according to 2 Chronicles 7.14. You see, Jesus says that there is only one body. He has only one body. A house divided cannot stand. Jesus said that himself. And the interesting thing about it is the enemy knows the word. He used the word against Jesus. And he knows that. That's God's word. It will implode. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to see that anymore. Um, I'm not saying anything like it in, in Oceanside, and I don't know any particular churches that are going through stuff, but I do 
um, in a sense, help oversee a number of churches uh, in various places. And um, one of the hardest things that, that ever happens is when two really good friends who have worked together for the gospel for many years sometimes are no longer talking to each other. And so beautiful when you can maybe, because you're not emotionally involved and you love both the people, there's nothing better when there's reconciliation. You know, I think of it like this at Christmas time. We normally have our family around. Not all of them have lived in Nanaimo. And um, sitting at the Christmas table, and they are laughing and having so much fun. And I like to go and sit in another chair. But number one, all my, my six grandchildren can exhaust me, so I need a break. They're amazing. And I just look at this. I just look with pride as they're all laughing and, and having so much fun together and how beautiful it is. But sometimes there's, there's issues in families, in our family. And as a father, it's very hard. And we need to understand this, that these are, are real things and sobering things if we want to see the blessing, the commanded blessing of God, not only of ourselves but over our nation. He goes on to say this in verse 5. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. You see, humility is important because it creates an atmosphere of unity and releases the presence of God like never before. You see, when we humble ourselves and we see ourselves in the context of created beings in front of this amazing God that we serve, when we humble ourselves, things happen. And humility enables us to see the dignity and worth of all people. Because it takes the focus of ourselves and places the focus on him and those around us and enables us to live a life for the benefit of others. In Philippians chapter 2, 5 to 11, Paul speak, uh, speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ, the humility of God, how Jesus humbled himself. The reason we're here today because he humbled himself. And it says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now there's one thing that we can't control, is our attitude. And my wife is very good at giving me attitude adjustments when I need them, and vice versa. And we control our attitude who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because of that, because he didn't exalt himself, because he, didn't, he did what his father wanted him to do in humility, God exalted him 
to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Savior. You see, in the life of Jesus, we saw that humility came before honor, that the cross came before the crown, that the person who demands honor will be ultimately humiliated, but the person who humbles themselves will be honored in due time. When the time came for Jesus to die, he submitted to his Father's will And even though he didn't really want to go to the cross in Gethsemane, he says, if you're willing, please take this from me. He knew he had to, but but not my will, but your will be done. And because he did that, he is now seated in the highest place at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing at the right hand of the Father? In the highest place, the word of God says is interceding for us. How crazy is that? Interceding for us. You see, Jesus as a man understood where he had come from. And therefore he understood that his true identity as God the Son was where he got his dignity and his significance from. Many of us get our significance from what we do. And it's a very hard thing because when you do well, it's good. You might have a great job and, and you feel really good, especially for guys. I know what that's like myself. But when it all falls apart, and it can very easy, we lose our significance because we've not placed it in what God says. You see, our significance comes from who we are as Christians. Romans 8 tells us that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. There's no higher standing in the universe. Even the angels marvel at this. I'm sure they're saying, how do those scallywags get there like this? But our significance is in, in not what we do. God blesses us with jobs and all of that, and we, and, and we find fulfillment in those things, and that's wonderful. But it doesn't matter who you are or what you do, whether you're on the streets, wherever, if you're a child of God, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and repented of your sin. You have become an heir of God. A co-heir with Christ. Can you believe the same standing that Christ has? Not on the basis of anything that we've done, but everything that Jesus did on our behalf. It must be an incredibly humbling thing for God to, to confine himself to a lady's womb, 
for nine months. It must have been, I'm sure, in the natural, it could have been really frustrated and waiting for his ministry to start, but he humbled himself as a carpenter with his dad, and he waited 30 years, 30 years for God to release him. Because when he was earth, he was fully man, although he was fully God, and he relied totally on the Holy Spirit to do what he did. And that's why he said, we can do greater things because the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells in us. You see, it's a crazy thing to understand that we are co-heirs with Christ. And therefore we receive our true identity and dignity and significance from him and through him. And in closing, the reality is that the true test of Humility comes when we are treated like a servant. We really know who we are and how we respond as a servant when people treat us like a servant. Servants are often ignored and taken for granted, overlooked and unnoticed. They can't choose who they serve, when they serve or how long they serve. And that's how Jesus served us. We see this in Mark 10, 45. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. And in the gospel, we clearly see that Jesus Christ, God incarnate, walked on the face of the earth, serving us, and eventually laying down his life for us, though we didn't deserve it. He did it. He never promoted himself. He never complained. He pleased his Father by loving and serving mankind. And church, we are called to represent him and do the same. Can we humble ourselves and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? If we can bow our heads for a moment. I believe God is wanting to bring freedom as never before in the house of God. And one of the ones things that I want to say I've been thinking of this a lot and even while I was up here I stumbled a bit while I was thinking of some of those things there are people that I need to go before to and just ask for forgiveness and they may not accept it but we didn't except Jesus Christ at first either. But you see what it does when we forgive, it frees us. And we cannot be responsible for other people's responses. And we've got to be careful when we ask forgiveness and I said, I will never forgive you. You know you did this and how dare you do that. We've just, we've just swallowed the bait. 
the bait of Satan. We need to live free. And I pray that for this body, that we will become a community known for love, forgiveness, and acceptance. Knowing that we will fall and we will make mistakes often. But if you are wanting to get free today, I felt in the Holy Spirit that if you would just like to, we could just stay a moment. If you could, Greg, you just want to play there a bit. And open our hands. We all have stories. We all have people to forgive. And for us to give others. It's actually not a big deal to God. Because when we have confessed our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And He also separates our sin as far as east is from the west, and He chooses to remember it no more. But it's for our sake. It's for our sake. It's for our sake. God can set us free right now. Forgiven, loved. And one of the greatest things that I've had to deal with, which is quite amazing, is forgiving myself sometimes. How can I not forgive myself if God's forgiven me? How can you not? God, I believe, just wants to rain down upon us right now. And goes, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Begin to move. Rain down upon us. Heal hearts. Change broken. Declare freedom in the house. Freedom in our lives. Lord, this has been a, a wonderful journey for me, Lord. As I've studied this and tried to put all of that into a, a, a few minutes. But it's such a beautiful thing. Not being chained to other people's actions anymore. And we see you, Jesus. You were beaten, you were whipped. your cry to your father was this father forgive them for they know not what they do break those chains Lord it's a new day break those chains Lord rain down Wash us clean, Lord. Lord is gracious and compassionate.